The pastors have been uh, preaching through the book of the Acts, and I'm fitting in as a sub for Pastor Brent today, who's up in Coeur d'Alene for his father's 80th birthday. The passage that we have this morning is Acts 18, 1 through 17, the record of Paul's church planting in Corinth. So we're going to have the text on the screen, hopefully, and I invite you to follow along with me as I read it, or perhaps you want to look it up in your own Bibles and follow along there. Acts 18, 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing, or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt like a punching bag or a target and the blows kept coming one after another in a relatively short period of time and you wonder, when is it ever going to end? Early in our time in mainland China during our first term, we had lots of trouble, and we felt like a punching bag. First, our younger son, Seth, helping us out 
at an outreach English camp for local students, Chinese students, trying to share the Lord and evangelize. He ran into a bar, injured his head very seriously, but the big problem was he developed a very serious, life-threatening eye infection. We had a local age 20 young man who we met when we first arrived in this mega city in mainland China who was helping us out. And we didn't know it at the time we met him, but he had been already kicked out of university for sharing his faith. Later on, near the end of our first term, because of his continuing outreach and evangelistic activities, it looked like the police were trying to put him in a mental institution. We tried to help him out, and so we invited him to go with us on our family vacation up near the border with North Korea. Sometimes when you get somebody out of the area, the local police forget about you. They get involved in other things. So we were hoping that would happen to our friend. Let me tell you, this was no vacation. (laughs) Our lives were threatened. Our money was stolen. It was a really tough time. But, fortunately, this young man escaped being put in a mental ward. Then, our landlord was trying to force us out of our apartment. Lying to us repeatedly, taking our money, cheating us, not giving back our deposit. We were threatened and afraid of physical harm. And then physical harm actually came to our oldest son. He and several of his friends at the international school had this little band. And they were playing a gig one night at a local university. And when they'd finished playing... They were pounced upon by a group of thugs yelling out, Attack the foreigners! It was blow after blow after blow. We felt like a punching bag. And all this because we were in China serving the Lord. When Paul came to Corinth, I think he felt like he had been a punching bag, too. How did he get there? Well, you remember the record starting in Acts 16. Paul was in what is now Turkey at a place called Troas. And he got this vision. We call it the Macedonian vision, right? You remember that? In this vision, he saw a man of Macedonia calling out to him, come over and help us. Paul and his team concluded the Lord was leading them to go to Macedonia. Now, Greece at that time was divided into the northern part and the southern part. The northern part was Macedonia. The southern part was Achaia. So, 
the first major city that he did evangelistic work in Macedonia was Philippi. Now, was that a smooth time? You remember what happened in Philippi? Arresting. They arrested him. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. He was put in stocks. But God miraculously rescued him through an earthquake. And the result was the jailer and his whole family came to know the Lord. Very famous story. But then... They asked him to leave the city. So, what happened next? The second stop in Macedonia, you remember? Thessalonica. What happened in Thessalonica? And then Berea, after that. Well, the Jews came against him. They didn't like what he was preaching. There was mob action, attack. False accusations. And all this seems to have happened within a relatively short period of time. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Finally, the brothers escorted Paul out of the province, out of Macedonia to Achaia, to Athens, for his safety. That was his Macedonian call. At no place in Macedonia did he have peace, safety, a welcome, and the chance to stay as long as he wanted to stay. And even in Athens, even though it was a more peaceful time, he was laughed at and demeaned. So now he has come to Corinth. During our 29 years in China, we had to flee or at least remove ourselves from one place because of persecution. I was working at a university. That was my tent-making job that gave us our visa. We had connected with the handful of Christian students on campus. Donna, particularly, was doing tremendous evangelistic work with a number of students on the campus. God was working, blessing. People were coming to the Lord. We had a discipleship Bible study on Sunday evenings on the campus. Things were going well. Then after we'd been there some three and a half years, There was an investigation of religious activity on campus. You know, the campuses, university campuses in China, as well as all the schools, are heavily controlled by the Communist Party. Students who attended that Sunday night discipleship Bible study were called in by the authorities, questioned, and intimidated. One of them, who had only been one time, gave up my name. Other students, believing students, found out about it and told us. Well, I was on the radar then 
of the authorities, the investigators. We knew we could not really stay there. We would put all the other believing students at unnecessary risk. We could not really continue our ministry, so we immediately stopped it and made plans to leave. We were eventually able to peacefully move out of the area, reestablish ourselves, and restart our ministries. But it was a huge, grave disruption. If you're interested in stories like this told much more excitingly than I can tell you, read this book written by my wife, Dragon Ride, under her pen name, Grace Jacob. It's an exciting read. Paul came to Corinth alone, no team members, after being repeatedly persecuted and rejected, no contacts. It was a new city to him, a a very large city, and full of vice. One of the commentators wrote this. It was the Las Vegas of its time. I think you get the picture. Now, how do you think Paul was feeling when he arrived in Corinth? Oh, this is God leading. Well, you know, he had no vision. No record of a Corinthian vision to go there like there was to Macedonia. You think he was feeling powerful and full of the Spirit? Well, he tells us. When he writes 1 Corinthians, in chapter 2, verse 3, he tells us how he was feeling when he came to Corinth. He says, I came in weakness, fear, and much trembling. Perhaps he's referring to the repeated physical blows that he had suffered in Macedonia. Perhaps the emotional turmoil, because we know from another letter that he wrote, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, that he had a tremendous burden on his heart when he arrived at Corinth. He writes... Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He was worried. Those believers in Thessalonica that he had to leave the area before the church was well established under severe pressure and persecution. Were they standing firm in their faith? He would have loved to have been there, but he couldn't. He didn't hear word from Timothy during his whole time in Athens, not until After he had been in Corinth for some period of time, did Timothy and Silas arrive with news of Thessalonica. Now, when you have a punching bag experience, what do you need? Well, you need some relief, right? 
think you also need encouragement. As I look at our passages today, Acts 18, 1 through 17, Paul doing evangelistic work, outreach, church planning in Corinth, it seems to me God is encouraging Paul repeatedly in many different ways that I want to share with you this morning and invite you to reflect on your own lives. How does God encourage you when you need it? The first thing I see is God provided fellowship for Paul at Corinth. When he arrived, I don't know how, I guess he went into the market, and perhaps in the market there was a stall, and he noticed that there were these tent makers there, and that was his trade, something he knew how to do. So he connected with these people, Aquila and Priscilla, they were fellow Jews. They were welcoming and friendly, and perhaps... They were already believers and his brother and sister in the Lord. But if not, they certainly became believers and became his co-workers and strong supporters. They invited Paul not only to join with them in their tent-making work there, but also to stay with them. Paul came to a place he didn't know anybody. And there was Aquila and Priscilla, and you know... God had placed them there ahead of Paul. Has God ever encouraged you in this way? We've moved many times in our career, my wife and I. When we move to a new location, one of our first priorities is find fellowship. Find a local body of believers, at least a small group, that we can meet with and pray with because we need encouragement. Our first location in mainland China was the mega city called Tianjin. Nine million people at that time. I think it has more like 17 or 18 million now. We didn't know anybody when we moved to Tianjin. We did find the International Christian Fellowship, a local group of believers, foreign passport holders who lived in that city, who knew the Lord, and they met together from England. Germany, Australia, Canada, United States, places in Africa, South Korea, to worship the Lord. We got help through that international fellowship when we first arrived. People who cared about us and reached out to help us to adjust And I'll never forget, we took our two sons to the international school to get them enrolled. 
It's just a small international school. Walking in, standing in the hallway, was a man I hadn't seen in maybe 20 years. An old friend. This guy had been in the same Christian fellowship as I was in my university. <laughs> there he was, somehow, in Tianjin, teaching math in that international school. That was encouraging. Somebody I knew that God had put there ahead of us. The second way that I see that God undertook to encourage Paul at this time was the arrival of his team members. In verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. And not only their coming was encouraging, but the news that they brought. Because they brought news of the church at Thessalonica, that they were standing firm. Doing church planning, it usually works better if you have a team or a core group. Multiple spiritual gifts. People to support one another and share responsibilities. And there was Paul with his team, Silas and Timothy, finally. Another great encouragement. And what's more, the scripture says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia... Paul was occupied with the word. Or another version says, Paul became wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word. Now, how was he able to do that? He had been working at least part-time in this tent-making job for his support, it seems. Well, it seems to me, when Paul came, uh, when Silas and Timothy came, they brought a gift, a financial gift probably from the church at Philippi. Philippians 4, that church, Paul thanks for supporting him with gifts more than once. Paul was able to lay down his tent-making job and devote himself full-time to his church planning and evangelism. Now, when you receive an unexpected gift of money, how do you feel? We all are excited about it. A lot of joy. I think it was a particular encouragement, an affirmation to Paul that God wanted him there. Go ahead, do your work full time. So things are looking good at this point, right? Let me tell you, unexpected gifts of money were a great blessing to us as missionaries in China. We were members, belonged to what's called a faith mission. You know what faith mission means? It means the mission organization can set your budget and set your salary, but if there's no money in the account, you don't get paid. That's what that means. Every year, early November, I would sit down and calculate 
I would look at our budget and I would calculate what had come in up through October and how much money needed to come in in the last two months of the year to end the year in the black. And the deficit was shocking. Tens of thousands of dollars needed to come into our account in order to meet our budget for the year. And we were there in China. What can you do in China to raise funds in America? You can pray. We pray. (laughs) Only other thing we could do is in our newsletter, we put a line or two at the bottom. We said, by December 31st, we need X amount to come into our account in the year in the black. Please pray about this need. That's basically what we would say. And we'd send out our newsletter. Every year it came in. <laughs> praise the, We learned to say, praise the Lord for December. <laughs> By the end of the year or shortly into early January, you get our notice, you know, of what all had come in. And we were in the black. And we thank the Lord. It was encouraging. And you know, these special gifts that came in in December, we could never predict where they were going to come from. What brother or sister or family or what church. And many times it changed from year to year to meet that deficit. God was supplying. So I'm sure Paul was encouraged by fellowship, his team members, the special financial gifts, everything seems to be going great in his church planning in Corinth. And then, bam, right? Opposition and reviling from the Jews. I'm sure Paul must have thought, oh no, is it going to happen again? Is this just a repeat? Is this what's, what happened in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea? Am I going to have to leave before the church is fully planted and well established? The solution that Paul came up with this time was not to leave the city, but to separate himself from the Jews. He quit his ministry in the synagogue. He said and acted in a very Jewish fashion. He shook out his clothes. He said, your blood be on your own heads, an allusion to Ezekiel as the watchman of Israel. He's saying to these Jews, you have failed to heed this warning. I'm done with you. You are accountable to God. Let me tell you, this is not a good example of friendship evangelism. It's an outrageously shocking action, as one commentator put it. Was this a setback? Discouraging as it may have been to Paul, as heartrending. To have to leave 
his fellow Jews in his outreach activities. It allowed Paul to redirect his ministry towards the Gentiles. During our ministry in China, there were several times when we had to separate. I had to separate from one of my tent-making jobs because of corruption in the sales department that I could not participate in. And our visa was tied to that job. We had to separate ourselves from that megacity after being there 11 years because of increasing air pollution that was particularly harming Donna's health. We moved 2,000 miles, roughly, across the country to a much more rural, small city area that had much cleaner air. We actually had to leave and change mission organizations when we were in China because of unrealistic requirements and leadership that we could no longer trust. But, you know, in each case... These apparent setbacks were turned around by the Lord into blessings, and we moved on to something better in each case. After this, a big encouragement for Paul was fruitfulness. The Scripture says many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. It's very encouraging if you're in ministry to be able to see some of the fruit. It means God is working. It's hard to keep going and persevering in ministry if you don't see response. But Paul was seeing many responses. After retirement... We moved to Bend from China and began looking for Chinese people in Central Oregon. Now, do you know any Chinese people in Central Oregon? They are rare. But there are almost 200 Chinese pilots in training at the Redmond Airport. Did you know that? We've been English teachers in China. (laughs) We volunteer ourselves to teach English to these 19 to 21-year-old atheists. It's not just us. There's a local church up there that has friendship dinners and meetings. There are other believers who have come in to help as volunteers teach English to these pilots in training. God is working. Several have come to faith and been baptized. Many are challenged to think about God and Jesus for the first time in their lives. We even have a -a once-a-month Chinese language Bible study at a Chinese believer's home in Bend. And some of the pilots have been coming to that, to hear the word in their own language. It's encouraging to see response, to see fruit. 
Paul continued to receive God's encouragement through a special vision from the Lord. One night, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now, what's the purpose of this vision? God doesn't tell Paul, you need to move on to another city. He doesn't tell Paul, you need to change your methodology. He doesn't tell Paul that he needs to do anything differently. He just says, keep on keeping on. Because I am with you. God promises Paul protection, safety. And he says... I have many in this city who are my people. I think this is a statement of God's foreknowledge. God is going to use Paul to lead many to faith. Paul just needs to persevere with the same message. Now, I don't have visions... But I do have answered prayer. When we first moved to this big city in China, Tianjin, Donna and I took a five-day exploratory trip, leaving our children in the care of others in America because we needed the things arranged before we could move there as a family. So going on tourist visas, we went to this big city. We had allotted five days. And we needed a Mandarin language school for both of us. And accompanying visas as students in that language school. Then we needed enrollment in the international school for our children and visas so that they could go to the international school. Plus, we needed an apartment. We needed housing. We had been there for four days, explored a fair bit of the city, met some of the international believers, eaten some of the food, were depressed by the environment... (laughs) And the end of four days, none of those requests had been answered by God. Donna and I looked at each other. Donna said, you know, we need to pray. <laughs> we got one more day. If we don't see these requests, these needs, this bottom line answered, we can't move here in August. This was in May, okay? We prayed. And God answered the next day, morning, noon, and evening, one by one. First, we met with this guy from the international school who said, okay, your, your, stu- your children can, can study at this school, and we'll give you a big cut in the tuition so that we could afford it. Then, a friend from the international fellowship who we just met took us to this uh, university, 
that had a language class for foreigners studying Chinese. They accepted us. They could give us the document we needed to get the visas, student visas. And we said, well, what about our children? The guy in the office called up the police and he said, okay, bring your children on student, uh, uh, on tourist visas. Three month tourist visas. We were in that language school for three years. And every three months for three years, I went down to the police station to renew our children's three-month tourist visas. And every time they were renewed for three years. China had no provision at that time for students to have dependence on their student visa. That was the only way they could figure out to do it. And then later in the afternoon, we were taken by this apartment, brand new, empty, in a very trashy area, but we could rent it. We could put a deposit. By the end of that day, that was encouraging. God had answered the bottom line needs that we had so that we could move to that megacity in August. And when we went through our time of bruising during that first term, being a punching bag, we would look back on that. God wants us here because he opened those doors. Do you like court cases? After all this that has encouraged Paul, there was a united attack by the Jews when Gallio became proconsul. New guy coming in. I can't help reading this passage without bringing in my background from our years in China. The scripture doesn't say anything about this. But I keep thinking to myself, nobody in China would ever go to court for justice. You go to court for advantage. Because you've got a connection with the judge and you know that you can win that case. Maybe your son is in school with the judge's son. Or maybe you have invited the judge out to a banquet and given him a new iPhone as just a special no-strings-attached gift right before your court case comes to his attention. That's how you do court in China. You don't go to court thinking you're going to get an impartial decision from the judge. And I keep reading this into this passage here. I don't know what kind of guy this guy Gallio was, but why would the Jews right at this point bring this court case to this guy if they didn't think they could win? So it looks bad. For Paul. Now, Gallio is an influential guy. His brother was a man named Seneca, who just happened to be the tutor for the future emperor Nero. This guy was connected, well connected, with the emperor's family. His decision would have carried great weight. So the Jews bring this case before Gallio. 
And the charge is that Christianity is illegal. Now, in the United States, we don't think of the courts deciding whether a particular religion religion is legal or illegal. We just don't think that's the role of the courts. We have freedom of religion. But in China, that's what they do. If you belong to this or that religion, they decide. This communist, atheistic government decides which religions are legal and which are illegal. It appears to me that that's what they... The Roman government did that too. Judaism happened to be a legal religion in the Roman Empire at that time. So the charge is that this Christianity is illegal. When the Jews presented their case before Gallio, before Paul even opened his mouth, the case was thrown out. This was an influential decision. I think it had some maybe important consequences of, in effect, declaring that Christianity, at least preached by Paul at that time, in that area, was a legal religion. He could continue without interference from the Roman government, and the Jews needed to leave him alone. Matter of fact, the only person who really suffered was this guy, Sosthenes, the ruler of the Jewish synagogue. And he was beaten in front of the court. Gallio paid no attention. I expect this guy Sosthenes was not a Christian at this time. But you know, when you read 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul writes that letter along with Sosthenes. Maybe it's the same guy. And maybe this experience was influential in Sosthenes coming to faith. Have things been tough for you lately? Have you been feeling like a punching bag? Do you wish it would quit? Do you need encouragement? I think that was Paul's situation. And God encouraged him repeatedly, providing fellowship, the arrival of his team members with good news, special finances, Being able to see his fruit, a message from the word in a vision, and success in a court case. When some of these things happened, at first they looked very negative. They looked like setbacks. But God was able to turn them into positives and encouragements. If you need encouragement... Paul writes, our God is a God of encouragement. Look to the Lord and pray for eyes to see when he brings encouragement to you. If you feel like a punching bag, he is there.